Welcome in to another exciting episode of the Talking Ball Y'all podcast. We have four great interviews lined up for tonight's episode. Leading off is going to be Aaron Fitt. Aaron is a co-editor and national writer for D1 Baseball, and he took a swing through the Magnolia State, and he gives us the lay of the land uh, for Southern Miss, Mississippi State, and Ole Miss Baseball and what they have looked like in the fall. And just a, a great job by Aaron of breaking down those three teams. Batting in the two spot tonight is going to be Todd Graffanini. He's the radio voice of the New Orleans Pelicans. He gives us a breakdown of how the Pelicans have started, what he expects from the Pelicans moving forward. In the three spot here on tonight's lineup is going to be Ben Ingram, the radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, who um, if you know, if you're a fan of this show, you certainly know who are in the midst of the World Series at this moment. So we were able to steal some time for Ben Ingram when he's uh, super busy. So we appreciate uh, Ben for that. And then speaking of somebody else that's uh, really busy, that's the athletic director batting in the cleanup spot, Jerry M- McLean for the University of Southern Mississippi, who made a big announcement yesterday headed to the Sun Belt Conference. So sit back and enjoy these four interviews. We appreciate you spending time with the Talking Ball Y'all podcast. With fall and cooler weather just around the corner, there's no better time to head out to Brothers in Arms. It's Hattiesburg's premier outdoor gun range. It is located at 4657 Highway 49 South. Whether you're a new shooter or an experienced one, all are invited to shoot on the safe and family-oriented range. Go check them out and inquire about their annual memberships, hourly rates, as well as their training classes they offer. Once again, that's Brothers in Arms Outdoor Range at 4657 Highway 49 South in Hattiesburg. And remember, always keep your sights pointed downrange. We are now privileged to be joined by Aaron Fitt. He's the co-editor and national writer for D1 Baseball. Aaron, thanks for taking time for the podcast. My pleasure. Good to be with you. Aaron, we want to talk about your swing recently through the Magnolia State and, and kind of give a, a sneak preview of, of what they can find on the site and what you saw in our three schools here in Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Southern Miss. Let's start on the south end of the state with the Golden Eagles and what that visit was like at Pete Taylor Park and what you saw from the Golden Eagles. Yeah, I'll tell you what, it was a really, really good day of baseball. You know, we got nine good innings there, and, and I think, um, you know, the Eagles threw a lot of their top arms for me. So it was uh, it was a really good look. I, I walked away impressed uh, with, with the pitching depth, you know, at first and foremost. Uh, you lose two guys uh, from the rotation, uh, like, like Stanley and, and Walker Powell last year. I mean, you're two kind of stalwart guys, and probably people are wondering, you know, how good is the team going to be on the mound? Well, you know, they've got the pieces here to be very good on the mound. And, you know, they, they need some of these guys to continue to do what they're doing in the fall. But, uh, you know, that's what happens in college baseball. you got to develop from year to year because you're going to lose your guys. And so uh, a guy like Hurston Waldrop is really coming into his own now as a second-year player in this program. And he was, you know, 93, 96 miles an hour the other day with, uh, uh, I thought, a good curveball and a good slider. Um, he hasn't changed up. He didn't throw it that day, but it's, uh, you know, it's a four pitch guy, a big power, you know, power guy who's got a physical, durable build. So, 
Um, I think, you know, that's, that's a guy that has top of the rotation kind of, kind of stuff and, and ability. And I think it's, it's coming fast for him. So, um, I thought he looked really good. Um, certainly Ben Etheridge is back and that's a piece that I think they can rely on, you know, a good three pitch mix there with, uh, with command. And he was, I think up to 92 miles an hour. So, uh, plenty of arm strength enough, enough there. Um, I thought Chandler best, the lefty. Uh, a guy that they were expecting big things from last year didn't quite maybe have the season they were hoping, but he looked great um, when I was in there. You know, just kind of breezed through two just really efficient innings, and the left-hander that's 91-93 with a really good tight slider that he was commanding. Um, I feel like he's a guy that's really emerging now too. So those are three arms that stood out. Dalton Rogers, another lefty JUCO guy, didn't have a good look uh, or a good outing um, when I was when I was there, but I saw him in the summer in the Cape Cod League, and he can pitch. You know, I think he's going to be a um, a nice piece probably in the rotation for him as well. And you got Tyler Stewart, a big six foot nine, you know, right-hander who was 94-96 with stink. I mean, it's pretty explosive. So there's a lot of exciting pieces on the mound. That's what stood out to me first and foremost. A guy you spoke highly about uh, going into his freshman year and maybe didn't actually live up to, to that expectation or his own in Wilkes. I know that I think you saw him hit a bomb uh, the day you were there and, and the power that he has that he can display in a sophomore year. Yeah, it's it's serious, serious power, you know, and, and uh, I remember last year when he was a freshman in the fall, I was there and you know, batting practice, he's just, he put on a show, you know, hitting balls way up there into the trees, over the trees. And um, it's, you know, you just don't see that kind of power. And uh, he didn't have the year that they were hoping for as a freshman, you know, or that I expected. But um, he's, he's back now. And, of course, the very first at bat I was there last week, um, he hits a, a home run to the opposite field gap, you know, just showing that he carried the other way on a 93-mile-an-hour fastball. And, and uh, you know, he's he's the guy, if he can get healthy, he's a little banged up right now. I think he's got a knee issue um, that they're going to take a look at, and hopefully that's not too serious. But if healthy, I mean, it's, it's athletic and he's strong. He, he's always kind of reminded me of, of, uh, of Griffin Conine, who's a Duke, son of, son of mm-hmm. big leader Jeff Conine. Um, he had a really bad you know, start his career first year, year two, really. And then you kind of saw him turn the corner, and it really, you know, he had a big year, hit a bunch of home runs as, as a third-year guy. And uh, he's a similar size guy, similarly athletic and, and, and strong, powerful swing. Uh, I see a lot of similarities of those two guys with their profiles. Aaron, when you look at a place like Southern Miss, I think you were there on just a beautiful day. That ballparks are pretty cool setting, what Coach Barry's been able um, to sustain and, and, and really hold there after Coach Palmer. How cool is it to be able to see um, maybe not a high-resource school in Southern Miss, but the way that they're able to produce year-in, year-out baseball-wise? Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, it's really a, a fantastic program. It has been now for, for decades, and they're just such a consistent winner, you know, and, and to do it in, in a state like that where you're competing against two, you know, big-power SEC schools that have a ton of money, um, and, and some of this, you know, they win some recruiting battles against some of those those teams, despite all their resources. I mean, I remember talking to the, the coaching staffs, so I think at Ole Miss and Mississippi State, and everybody wanted Slade Wilkes, you know, coming out of high school, and, and Southern Miss got them, um, you know. And, and so there, there are examples like that. They, they just they really know what they're doing. I mean, I think they've built a special culture there. Um, players want to go there, you know, because it's uh, especially the atmosphere, the game day atmosphere. I know it's special there, um, and and it's just, uh, you know, I think Coach Barry, he's, he's built kind of that, that family environment, and 
Um, you know, and, and he's he's a hard nosed guy. He, he'll, he'll he'll get into you a little bit, and then I think he's a really good teacher of the game and instructor, but just a darn good man, you know. And I think that matters. Aaron, let's move up um, north a bit in the state and stop and start with the defending. Uh, we'll be defending national champion Mississippi State Bulldogs. Tell us about uh, your stop there and what jumped out in Starkville. Well, it's, uh, you know, they're, they're voted again. I mean, this is kind of, I, I suspect next year they could have a little bit of a drop off. I think even the coaching staff maybe is, is wary about that because they're going to lose a lot of guys. But um, there's, there's a decent amount back from last year's title team. I mean, they've got some, you know, some big shoes to fill. No more, um, you know, no more Tanner Allen or Rowdy Jordan to kind of make that lineup go. And, um, you know, of course, you lose the College World Series most outstanding player in, in Will Bednar. But Landon Sims is still there. Um, they're going to stretch him out and try to use him as a starter this year, which I think it makes sense because he doesn't, he's not really a guy that bounces back very well um, in, in, in one weekend. I mean, in a bullpen role, uh, you kind of got to use those bullets in one outing, you know. So, so you say that. He had a great year as, as a closer. But um, I think it makes sense to get the most innings you can out of him in, in that starting role, maybe as a Friday guy. So, um, you know, that's that's one key development for, for them is how that works out with Landon in the rotation. And, you know, you've got – Jackson Fristo behind him, really talented guy, second-year, you know, emerging sophomore who had certainly his moments last year where he was really good. Um, there's a lot of arms in that in that sophomore class that they're going to kind of rely on to take to take steps. And um, you know, Kate Smith's another one, athletic right-hander with some pitchability. I saw him the other day; it was it was not bad. Um, if you if you move Sims into the rotation, you need somebody at the back end um, to to emerge. I think one candidate to do that is Parker Stinnett. Um, you know, I think he was a JUCO transfer in there last year, if I'm not mistaken. It was his first year, but uh, he looked great. I mean, it was really, really, really good slider. You know, it was just a pure wipeout. Swinging this pitch, you can't touch it even when you know it's coming. Um, plus, it was 91-93, you know, so there's plenty of arm strength there. I could see him as a shutdown guy at the back, and, and maybe Casey Hunt, you know, a guy they've been waiting for. He was a high-profile recruit at high school. Um, just didn't quite have the pitchability those first two years. Uh, but uh, from what I hear, he's really taken a step forward in that department this fall. He was 94-96 in, in a quick 1-2-3 inning when I was there. So uh, the arm really works. He's athletic. I can see him being a guy at the back. So they'll have enough pieces on the mound. Certainly they've got you know plenty of power in that lineup with guys like Cameron James and, and Kellum Clark and Brad Cumbest. And, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty back there. Hunter Hines is the name I think you need to keep an eye on. It's a true freshman, left-handed hitter. Uh, extremely physical, really mature approach for a young guy. He hit a, a home run in center field that was just a rocket when I was there. Uh, also had a you know RBI single that was just crushed and and a, and a walk. You know, so he was on base all three times. And, and just watch him in, in batting practice, and, and it jumps out to you right away. You know, it's uh, I tweeted that it, he kind of reminded me of, of another hunter another hunter who played at Mississippi State, and it's Hunter Renfro, wow. um, just physically and, and, and the way his swing works. And he's got potentially that kind of power. And I don't say that lightly because Hunter Renfro has, you know, 80-grade raw power on the 2080 sure. scale yeah. uh, that scouts use. But Hunter Hines has, has got a chance to be special. Aaron, when you go from, from Southern Miss and then you stop in Starville and then your next stop's going to be Ole Miss kind of on this tour is the way that I've laid it out. Uh, the facilities and like I said, I think you caught some good weather in the Magnolia State. Uh, doing what you do, it's kind of got to be a, a dream type swing through on those three schools. I know that there's some road trips where you take that may could match that, but that's a, a pretty solid uh, three, three, four day trip for you, right? 
Yeah, and, and I absolutely love coming to Magnolia State. You know, I make a point uh, to prioritize that swing every fall and, and certainly in the spring as well um, because, you know, for one thing, people in that state just love college baseball. It's awesome. You know, I mean, you guys see it. It's, it's yeah. you know, all three of those fan bases are awesome and, and they're, they're big and, and they're passionate and they care. Um, and they're, they're very friendly, welcoming. Every time I come to the state, I'm, I'm blown away by the hospitality. I know that's some of you guys take pride in down sure. there, but it's real. Um, but, you know, and then the, the, the facilities, the venues, uh, and the quality of the baseball. I mean, those are three programs that are just humming along. And, and certainly I think Ole Miss and Mississippi State can be top 10 teams this year. And I thought Southern Miss was an easy top 25 team, even after losing those two horses in the rotation. So those are three, you know, programs that are all real national factors heading into the spring. All right, let's talk about the Rebels from Ole Miss. And, Aaron, just for your knowledge, we record out of Picayune here in Pearl River County, which is um, Hayden Dunhurst's home county. He prepped at Pearl River Central High School. So I'll ask you about Ole Miss as a whole, but I'd like for you to give our listeners, our local listeners here, your take on Hayden Dunhurst behind the dish to get started. Yeah. Yeah, he's one of the best catchers in the country. And actually, you know, right there in that state, you've got – maybe the two best catchers in the country with him and, and uh, um, you know, over Mississippi State, of course. Um, you know, you, you got a really good one, too, with, with, with Logan Tanner. Uh, but, uh, you know, Dunhurst is, is it's a rifle arm. Really, really throws the hell out of it. Um, he, he had, you know, I guess he was coming off left, left thumb surgery this fall, uh, so he didn't catch for me. He was DHing, but, you know, we all know what he can do. He's, he's an elite defensive catcher. He has, you know, obvious left-hand power in that bat. Um, I think he's, you know, he's got a chance to be a first-round pick, and, and certainly Logan Tanner does as well. So uh, it's a position of strength of this state, that's for sure. Yeah, and you know a lot, and you're certainly have your ear to the ground, so that's cool to hear. Uh, the pitch framing, the work uh, behind the plate, that is such an art that's really being paid close attention to by the Major League Scouts. Yeah, and, and it's funny, you know, everyone kind of falls in love with the arm strength tool, um, but nobody really runs in the big leagues anymore. So I think that's become, um, you know, less emphasized now. It's more about your receiving and your blocking. That's what scouts are really bearing down on. And, and like you said, the pitch framing stuff, it's why you see so many guys getting down on one knee uh, with the other one all spread out. It's supposedly it helps you frame pitches better. Um, I think that's at the expense of, of blocking and, and receiving. So I like to see a little less of that personally, but and I think a lot of scouts are with me on that. But uh, that's kind of the, the current trend in, in, in baseball, and we'll see how long that lasts. Yeah, interesting point there. Not to, we'll go back to the Rebels, but I'm a Braves fan, and so Darno does such a good job of framing the pitches and working the staff, but – I think currently the Dodgers have gone back to running, and I want to say they're like 11 for 11 on the series. And we keep hearing, and and for good reason, right, that he's described as a good defensive catcher. But that measure uh, to be a good defensive catcher 10, 15 years ago, really you had to throw guys out at a pretty good rate. Right. You're right, and and I wonder if you know the pendulum will swing back in that direction. Uh, you know, Dodgers are a smart organization, and I think they're. They're exploiting something here. You know, it's just nobody runs anymore, but if you have speed, you might as well use it. Um, and, they, you know, you got Trey Turner to start with. That's, sure. that's a good place to start. they got a bunch of guys who can run on that team. But, yeah, I think you're, you're on to something there. You know, that's something to watch as we move forward. Okay, so for the rest of the Rebels overall, you've, you've already kind of yeah. tipped your hand, a top-10 team uh, coming out. You're impressed with them. 
Yeah, they got everybody back in the lineup. I think all mine of their, their kind of everyday guys are back, and, and it was a really explosive offensive club last year. Um, you know, up the middle, you're so strong with, with Dunhurst and then Jacob Gonzalez, who was a first-team All-American for us as a true freshman last year, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, that's, Boy, is he so you know, smooth, Aaron, to um, watch, or what? Gracious. Uh, he's, yeah, he's awesome. I mean, just the, 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 the defensive instincts. Uh, the action, the, the arm strength, ability to throw from different slots. I mean, the, the whole thing, it's just, it's special. And of course, it's a really good left handed bat, too. He can hit. Um, and, and Peyton Chatagnier at second base, it's a great, you know, elite double play combination. And, and Chatagnier is kind of that energizer guy who makes him go. Um, I think he's going to have a big year, you know, because he wasn't healthy for a chunk of last year. And I think that hindered him a little bit. Uh, but they, they need him to, to kind of help energize them and make them go. And I think he will. Um, and then, you know, TJ McCants, I guess he could also play second base potentially, but um, you know, he's, he's naturally an infielder. But he learned center field on the fly last year and, and kind of, you know, took off as a true freshman. And, and he's an emerging superstar. I mean, he's really tooled up, obviously can run. Uh, left-handed hitter with some power, hit, went out to right field. It was a no-doubter when I was there for that scrimmage against Little Rock. Um, so he's, you know, he's a star that's just, you know, only only – uh, scratching the surface of his abilities right now. And then you got, you know, Justin Bench is back and a versatile piece, an athlete. You can move around the diamond. Uh, ben Van Cleve, just a big, burly guy that, you know, all he does is hit, really. I mean, and he's got power. So um, Kemp Alderman is a breakout guy that I'm intrigued by. Big-time raw power there. And don't forget, Tim Elko is still back. Mm-hmm. He didn't play in the fall. He's you know, recovered from that knee surgery. But, um, you know, I mean, what he did with one with one knee last year was absurd. I've never seen anything <laughs> yeah. like that. I mean, I've never seen anything like that in, in baseball. And so that was kind of the legend of Tim Elko lives on. He'll be back for another year. Uh, and, they, you know, the question for Ole Miss is, is on the mound, right? You lose the KZ. They didn't have Gunnar Hoagland late last year anyway. He had had surgery. But um, you were talking about two you know, elite guys in the rotation. Uh, how, how will they build that staff this year? Um, you know, they threw probably their six best guys in, in the two six inning scrimmages I saw, and I walked away impressed with them all. You know, I mean, there's, there's arm strength. Um, Derek Diamond, I think, should have a good year. I think his pitchability continues to, to evolve. Uh, he's a third-year guy now. The stuff has never been in question. I'm, I'm expecting big things from him. You got Drew McDaniel, you know, who's up to 93-94 and can really spin the breaking ball four-pitch guy. Um, a transfer named, named Jack Washburn, you know, the son of, of Jared Washburn, the big leader. Uh, he, he comes from Oregon State, big physical guy, you know, and it was 91-94 with, with elite carry through the zone. He's got that riding life on his fastball. Um, I saw a good slider, and, and Megan's a, a solid change up there, so I think he could start for him. Uh, and then I think at the back end, keep an eye on Brandon Johnson, um, who was just electric, you know, in, in two perfect innings when I was there for that scrimmage. He was 94-96 and, um, you know, explosive fastball. And uh, I thought a swing and miss change up and, you know, serviceable slider. So especially if he can develop that slider a little bit more, he could be one of the better closers in the country. Aaron, thank you for your time, man. I certainly feel more informed about our three, um, three schools here in the state that compete at a high level in baseball if our listeners want to follow you and then go support what y'all are doing there at d1 baseball just really premier coverage can you tell them where to find you on twitter and then how to subscribe and and take in uh, not only the podcast but the the write-ups here on d1 baseball yeah, we're uh, at D1 Baseball on Twitter. I'm at Aaron Fitt, A-A-R-O-N-F-I-T-T. 
um, and certainly D1Baseball.com is, is the place you need to go for really all your college baseball needs. Um, we've got schedules and stats and scores and, um, of course, lots of analysis, podcasts, video stuff. Um, it's all there. I think you can get a, a, a discount now. If, if uh, Look on Twitter and our Twitter feed. There should be a coupon code um, for, for a subscription. But we hope people consider subscribing. Uh, we love what we do. We've got a great staff, and uh, uh, we certainly appreciate all the support we get from the fans down there in Mississippi. Awesome, Aaron. Thank you again for your time, sir. Yeah, my pleasure. Good talking with you guys. Hey folks, it's never too early or too late to get that spring cleaning done. Give our friends at Silver Run Cleaning Services a call. They provide Pearl River County and the surrounding areas with a professional cleaning service. Silver Run Cleaning offers tailor-made and customizable services for your commercial business, your post-construction cleanup, and your residence. Remember that Silver Run Cleaning Services. For reoccurring and one-time appointments, give Darby McCraney a call at 601-337-1721. That number once again is 601-337-1721. Let Silver Run Cleaning Services handle all your messy cleanups. We're now joined by the voice of the New Orleans Pelicans, Ty Graffinini. Ty, thanks for taking time for the podcast. Appreciate it, Clay. Uh, enjoying the day off, getting right back into it tomorrow. And uh, it's a good evening in Minneapolis last night. Finally got a win. Yeah, you get uh, the win and Willie Green's first uh, career win. Tell us kind of your first impressions, if you would, of Coach Green and the directions he has the Pels headed in. He's been really outstanding to work with. Um, you know, it, it's hard to believe, but you think about it, he's he's only been out of the league four years uh he's been you know a very uh successful assistant coach at golden state and phoenix a couple of championships but it, you know you think about it he and Jonas valanchunas who is our starting center right now were teammates in toronto so uh that's how uh close to the you know to his playing status willie green is but no he's been great um very very even keel um, you know, it, it's, you know, Clay, as you know, it, it was a struggle. The, those first three games, um, they weren't a whole lot of fun, really. And you could just tell that Willie Green wasn't going to let uh, anything bother him in the sense of we're getting better every game, we're, we're improving, we're improving. And he just, you could see that he never panicked uh, or, or, or started to feel that uh, things were getting out of control it, very early in the season. Long way to go, a lot of games, and I think that type of personality really uh, fed to the team, and they played their best basketball in the, in the four games last night and, and got a win. But he's just – he's been very uh, – he, he likes to delegate his authority. He's got very good assistant coaches. He lets those assistants do the bulk of the work during practice. But when he speaks, you know, you know he's – He's mean in business, and uh, I, I think it's just been a lot of fun to watch. We've been very fortunate, Clay, to be able to watch all the training camp practices, and we go to practice on a daily basis. So you get to see him interact with the team every day, and um, the players absolutely respect him, and you can tell uh, already. And it's just, you know, you, you want a guy like that to succeed, and, of course, it is his first head coaching job, and he's had a lot of uh, – a lot of people around the league endorse him as a head coach. I mean, everywhere we go, 
uh, the opposing coaches glowingly speak about him. So he's got a lot of respect, and uh, he, he said after practice today that he got about 50 to 60 text messages after the game last night. So, you know, you, you want a guy like that to succeed. Tide, you mentioned it on the front side of your answer about um, Coach Green. Really, the NBA season, of course, is really a marathon, but – a one and three start you're doing it without zion that steady and that calmness could play a key role with such a young team right i absolutely agree and look this is a very important season in this franchise there's no two ways about it and there's pressure uh there's pressure to win here just you know the 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 core of the team has been together now for for two to three years and you know, there haven't been any playoff appearances. And, of course, you got Zion Williamson, the number one pick in the draft, who hasn't played yet. But, you know, you can't – if you're the head coach, that's just – that's part of the deal. You know, that's the NBA. It's a, people aren't going to feel sorry for you. So, yes, uh, his being, a, you know, a calming influence is going to help this young group because, as you will know, last year the, the – Coach Stan Van Gundy and, and the players did not get along at times, and it was pretty well documented. And, um, you know, that's one of the reasons that Stan Van Gundy's not here right now. And I think they got the uh, pretty much the polar opposite of Stan Van Gundy and, and Willie Green. Tied in a year where you were covering them during COVID, and then, you know, that's the only year that you kind of got to experience Coach Van Gundy. Could you sense that? even from maybe the more limited access than what you've described having uh, this year with the vaccinations and the different protocols well, in place. Could you get that sense? Well, I mean, on, in a periphery type of way, yes. I mean, because honestly, we had zero access to the team. Um, we went to no practices. We could not be involved uh, in anything physically. For, for example, we did have our, we did play our home games last year in the Smoothie King Center, uh, we called all the road games remotely from our radio booth in, in the Smoothie King Center. But we were not allowed as broadcasters to even be on the floor wow. uh, of, of the Smoothie King Center at any time. I never personally met Stan Van Gogh. Good gracious. The, the, the only interaction I had with him through all of those games and the pregame interviews and the postgame interviews were via Zoom. I never shook the man's hand, not one time. So it was a very, very strange year to say the least. Uh, practice was extremely limited. Um, you know, I, I think that had, Stan Van Gunn is a, was a big, is a big time practice coach and they just were not able to do it on a daily basis the way that we or he would have liked to because the season was so condensed. We had to play 72 games in a two month less type of time period. The, the season started in December uh, last year. So, I mean, we, we were playing, you know, we, we got to the point, Clay, where the last two months of the season, we never had more than one day off. Wow. And it was a lot of back to back. So they had to jam all of those games in a, in a very short amount of time. And that translated into no practice time, and this was a team that needed to practice yeah. a lot more than it did a, a year ago, and they just, you know, it, it was just a really, really difficult year all the way around. Ty, when you look at it from your perspective, I mean, not you were named the voice of the uh, the Pelicans on the radio side in, in 19, and so your your first year in a gig really wasn't what, what the gig is going to be, hopefully, over time, right? So that's a little... Uh, surreal for 
for everybody with a year, year and a half that we've all been through. But uh, for you, it certainly had to be a challenge, too. Yeah, no, uh, it's been a running joke. You know, I haven't called an 82-game schedule yet. Um, (laughs) That's just the way it is. You know, we, we... we were headed that way, and then March 11, 2020 hit, and then boom. I mean, that was that. And then, you know, we take a few months off, and then we play the games in the bubble. And then, of course, last year you play 72 games, and we don't get to travel at all. And um, I would say that calling games on a television is not the most ideal thing. Yeah. Uh, we did we did get to, you know, we did finish the season, which was a good thing. But, yeah, you know, part of the deal is – you know, and I'm, I'm starting to get back into it now because we didn't do it last year. But, you know, part of the deal is going on these road trips and, and being with the team and, and interacting with them on a daily basis. It helps me in my job. And, of course, you gotta you got to get used to the grind. And it is a grind, but it's a grind you sign up for. You know, sure. we got back at 2 in the morning last night. Hmm. And I had to wake up at 6 o'clock and bring my kids to school. But I'm not complaining. That's just that's part of it. So. It, it beats now. My wife would disagree, but it beats staying home uh, for you know half the season, uh, forty-one games on the road. So you know it's it's just part of the business. But uh, yeah, man, I, I really really missed all the, it, the the thing about two years ago when the season stopped on March 11th, we were actually starting to play our best basketball mm-hmm. of the year, and we're making a push towards the playoffs despite starting the year off at six and 22. So, you know, Zion had come back in, in January, uh, late January, and the team really was starting to gel. And it's, it's funny. Well, I'll never forget that night in Sacramento. We had a huge game with the Sacramento Kings that night on national television on that Wednesday night, March 11th. And it was basically a battle to be a game back of the eighth spot in the uh, in the Western Conference with 18 or 17 games to play. So that was going to be probably the biggest basketball game I've ever called, uh, both college and, and pro. And obviously we never played it, and the world has never been the same since. No, it's just so wild, man. So, Ty, we talk about, like, your adjustments, Coach Green's adjustments, this – this class of rookies, what do you see from them early on? Of course, we not we aren't privy to how they're really going to jail with uh, Zion, but right. what do you think about them so far? Well, they've been impressive. You know, Trey Murphy, 17th pick in the draft, has shown that he can make shots from anywhere on the floor. And, you know, as, again, we see Zion get integrated back into the offense, I think Trey Murphy is really going to flourish because of the spacing that he's going to get because Zion, of course, is going to go right into the paint. And that's going to leave and, and everyone's going to collapse on him. And that's going to leave guys wide open in the corner and on the wing. And, and Trey Murphy, and we've already seen it uh, in the preseason and his first four games that he is very capable of knocking down the three point shot. But I tell you, the, the guy who nobody can stop talking about is Herb Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> 35th pick in the draft second round and he started three games now in his nba career and if you look at his box score and you look at the point total you're going well what in the world is this guy contributing in, in the two games against minnesota he had zero points and one point and <laughs> he was one of the best players on the floor because of what he does everywhere else uh the, the game on saturday night the one the pelicans lost uh because of the 30 turnovers and the uh, nine of 40 shooting from three. 
Herb Jones literally got the Pelicans back into the ballgame, trailing by 17 points just by being relentless on the offensive glass. He had six offensive rebounds in the third quarter alone, and the Pelicans were able to make it a ball game and, of course, fell a little bit short. And then last night, just the deflections, the steals, the assists. He scored one point last night, and he made his presence known all night. He played 31 minutes. Actually, last night he did not have a point. Saturday he had one point. But last night, two steals, a block shot, an assist, three rebounds. He's doing what he needs to do, what they want him to do. Uh, he can guard anybody on the floor. He was the SEC Defensive Player of the Year a year ago, as well as being the Player of the Year in the conference. And, you know, right now, he's working on his outside shot. And, of course, you know the work that Fred Vincent had done with uh, Lonzo Ball and, and Brandon Ingram with their outside shot. We call Fred Vincent the shot doctor. He's been a Pelicans assistant now for 10 years. Well, guess who his pet project is right now? Mm. Herb Jones at practice today. And they really didn't do a whole lot today because we got back in late. It was such a physical weekend. Herb Jones literally shot the ball for one hour from three. I, I watched, I pretty much watched him the entire time. So uh, he is he is working on it. He is going to get better. But what he has done defensively in the first four games they can't stop raving about him in the building, and, and we're, we're seeing why on a daily basis. Graf, it's your job, and you do a tremendous job of it, trying to kind of paint that picture. But people that aren't able to get courtside and all they've ever consumed is the NBA product on TV, it just doesn't do it justice, does it, for what you're describing with Jones trying to keep up with some of these guys that play out on the wing in this league? No. No, um, you know, it's it's funny because the first, the first start, I just thought about it. We were in Chicago on Friday night playing the Bulls, and Herb Jones gets his first start. Well, guess who Guess who they put him on? Zach Levine. Oh. I mean, you talk about a baptism by fire. And look, Levine, you know, at times made him look foolish. But Zach Levine's going to make everybody look yeah. foolish. But, but the thing about it is, is Jones never backed down at all. I mean, at all. And those type of experiences very early in his career are going to make him even better and better. You know, he's going up against Anthony Edwards last night. Um, you know, at times they put him on Carl Anthony Towns. Again, they, they're not afraid to put him on anybody. Um, and, look, he had, to, he had a couple of huge deflections and steals in the game last night, uh, despite not scoring any points. So, again, um, no, it, it really doesn't do it justice until you see these guys on the floor going at it every night. Todd, man, I can't thank you enough for your time. We appreciate uh, you, man. It's been cool to see what you've been able to do with this opportunity, the enthusiasm you bring to your calls. It's uh, a great listen. So as a Pelicans fan, I appreciate that standpoint too. Good stuff, Clay. Anytime, man. Thank you, Todd. Johnson Farms and Meat Market features all Angus beef steaks for incredible flavor. They also serve cooked brisket and top quality deli meats, including pork, beef, and chicken. Beef packages are available too. Shop online at johnsonfarms.com or stop in at the corner of Highway 11 and North High in Picayune. Johnson Farms and Meat Market, where quality beef begins. We are very excited now to be joined by the voice of the Atlanta Braves. Ben Ingram, thank you for taking time for the podcast. Absolutely. Great to be with you guys today. 
Ben, we're talking to you between games one and two of the World Series. If you would, just give our listeners kind of a, a look into what this journey has been like for you through the postseason and how incredible it is to call a World Series. Well, it has been one heck of a journey. I mean, anytime you get to go deep into the postseason, it's magical. I mean, you feel like you're in something in the midst of something very special. That's what this season has felt like for the Braves, at least for the final two months of the season. And they're able to pick up some steam, and they've carried that right over into the postseason. And I think what we've seen is, is them coming together and playing their best baseball at the right time. I know that folks have looked at the Braves as a team that only won 88 games, so that makes them a huge underdog. But in my opinion, what they were in April and May, June and July, absolutely has no relevance to what they are right now. Uh, what it, How a team finishes, what they are when they get to the postseason is what matters, not what they were two, three months ago. So this team has put it together at the right time. It's definitely felt special uh, beating the Brewers and seeing Freddie Freeman hit that home run in the eighth inning of the fourth ball game was a big moment. Finally taking down the Dodgers was huge. That feels like the, the one hump you just couldn't get over. And they finally did. And then winning game one last night was a great start to the World Series. It was their first World Series win in a, in a single World Series game since 1996. The last time they were in the World Series in 99, they were swept. So you couldn't have asked for a better start than you hand the ball to Max Free tonight. So it's been a really good journey, uh, a fun ride. And for me personally, just being able to be a part of this to any degree, but especially calling the games has just been the thrill of my life to this point. Ben, I went back and listened. We had you on prior to the season, and I went back and listened to that preview. So many things that you and I talked about really haven't happened for the Braves, including the All-Star game. That, that interview took place before that was pulled from Atlanta. When you look at the Acuna injury, Soroka, Azuna suspension, just, man, how resilient and then – you mentioned it, their front office coming in clutch right there at the trade deadline. It's been fascinating. I mean, this journey is, is something that none of us could have predicted. I mean, you go back to the last time we spoke, and a lot of those guys that we talked about that you just mentioned are guys that were not just pieces of the puzzle. They, they were cornerstones for this organization, uh, cornerstones for, for this roster. And to lose them, I think you would have thought at the time, well, if you, if you told me at the time that all those guys would be missing significant uh, times this season, I would have thought, that this season would have gone down the drain. I'd have just said, okay, well, well injuries got you. And I've seen that happen before with, with teams that I've covered. And, of course, it happens to teams every single year where they just don't reach their potential simply because of injuries. That's why everything that we say at spring training comes with a disclaimer of if you stay healthy because health is not guaranteed in this game. And it's a long, grinding season over 162. So to be where they are right now, in the face of all that, and furthermore, in the face of not even reaching 500 or over 500 till the first week of August, that's remarkable, and it's so rare. Uh, so to see them do that, uh, to me, it goes right back to the trade deadline, uh, what this team became uh, from, from the trade deadline on. They became the best team in baseball record-wise after the trade deadline. I, I felt like they would need to make at least three, maybe four moves. I said that on our podcast and, all, and furthermore on our broadcast uh, leading up to the trade deadline. And my thought was it's, it's rare to see one team make that many trades at the trade deadline. Furthermore, 
it's rare to see them, even if they do make all those trades, for all those trades to hit the way that the Braves' trades have hit. I mean, every last one of these trades and moves that they have, have made have been huge and paid off enormous dividends. Uh, so it is it is really a testament to what this front office was able to accomplish, the moves that they made, uh, their evaluations of, of the players that they were able to trade for and how they wanted to use them. And I think putting all that together, it's been a wild ride and one that no one could have predicted. Ben, you certainly uh, see the grind that the players go through. Uh, outfielders coach and first base coach Eddie uh, Eric Young, EY's work on being able to maybe show a preview of Rosario, seeing the way that that ball is going to come off the wall, and then Albie's work with Wash and almost seeing a, a absolute replay of that backhand glove work. How cool is that to see? Because I know you see them put the work in every day. Absolutely. I, I think their roles are to prepare these guys for what they're going to face. Um, it, it takes a special type of experience, a special type of foresight in order to know exactly how to prepare a team for a game. And uh, that video yesterday of EY having those outfielders prepare for balls off the wall, that's what led to that out late in the ball game. That was a huge out late in the game. Um, it, it's all about preparation. If you're not preparing, you're preparing to fail. And these guys know that. And you've got two of the best of the business in, in uh, Wash and EY. They do a tremendous job. That's a, that's a coaching staff that has been so good. And they've been together for, for several years now. I think that's been the backbone of this team is, is having this coaching staff intact for all these years and having that familiar um, relationship uh, that the players have with those guys. So they trust them, and uh, they've done a very nice job with, with preparing for this team. And uh, I think what you saw yesterday was the, the byproduct of all of that and coming together on the field the way that it did for the Braves. Ben, when you look at the injury to Morton last night, that certainly changes some things through um, what may pl- take place down the road. How do you see the rest of this series playing out with the Braves with this 1-0 to advantage? Yeah, that's a great question. I think you feel good about tonight and game three because you still get to stick with your plan. What you need tonight is Max Freed to go deep in this ball game. The Braves used multiple relievers last night. If Max Freed could go six or seven innings of this ball game, and furthermore, you only you only have to get about uh, somewhere between six and nine outs out of your bullpen. I think you're set up well for that. Um, you have an off day the following day, then you're back at home for game three. But you ended up having to basically use a bullpen game last night when you didn't anticipate doing so. I think the Braves felt like game four could probably be a bullpen game. Uh, they, they put Kyle Wright on the, on the uh, World Series roster just so he could eat some innings. They wanted to be better prepared for a quote-unquote bullpen game for the World Series than maybe they were for uh, the Championship Series versus the Dodgers. But now you used a bunch of go, a bunch of those guys last night. AJ Mentor obviously wouldn't be available for tonight's ball game as he went two and two thirds last night. So what the, how this sets up is you need Max to go deep in a game. You you can't. Uh, I don't I don't think you you need to get back into your bullpen early. Uh, similarly to how you had to work it last night. So if you can get Max to go tonight, go deep. Likewise, Ian Anderson for game three. Then you can cross that bridge when you get there. Game four was going to be the game that you anticipated a bullpen game. Now that could potentially be game four and game five uh, because you've got some options, but I don't know that any of those options are guys that you expect to go six or seven innings in a World Series game. You've got Kyle Wright, as I mentioned. Uh, You've got Drew Smiley. You've got Jesse Chavez. You could make a move. Obviously, they're going to have to 
with uh, putting Charlie Morton on the IL. And there are a couple of options there, whether it be Tukey Tucson or even a Kyle Muller or a, a Spencer Strider. I mean, I know we're kind of digging here, but you're looking for guys that you might can replace Charlie with and have them go some innings. So that's a decision they'll have to make, and uh, hopefully you have a, a good series lead and things go well in games two and three where you're better prepared to handle games four and five. Ben, last question. How cool has it been uh, for you and the sights and sounds? I appreciate the access you give on your social media, too, to some of the behind the scenes. But the way that the Braves uh, community there has responded with these postseason ball games and, and the sights and the sounds that they've provided there at, at Truist Park. It's been special, and I love that we live in a day and age now where we can provide that that extra access, be it our individual social media, uh, how the Braves go about doing that, um, the the technology that we have with TV and such where you can provide more access. Uh, I think that's terrific. I think that fans want more, not less, and it's good to give fans more. So having all that come together for a special season like this, it's definitely a treat. You have to treat it like it's special because it is extremely special. Uh, and get it, getting it treated that way and, and serving your fans as much content as they possibly can get, I think that's the way to go because everybody is excited. Everybody's thrilled to see what's taking place with this ball club. and uh, It's de- definitely a pleasure to be able to do that from our end. Ben, man, thanks for letting us steal 10 minutes. We know that you are super busy. Have a great call tonight, buddy. Will do, man. Thanks so much. Good to hear from you, Clay. Thank you, Ben. How do you unwind? Whether it's hunting, riding horses, or just sitting around a campfire, it's better on land you own. Southern Ag Credit can finance that land. Give our Gulfport office a call at 228 828- 832-5582 or visit us online at southernagcredit.com Now joining the podcast of Athletic Director for Southern Miss, Jeremy McLean. Jeremy, how special a day was it yesterday on campus there to make the announcement about the Sun Belt? Well, first of all, Clay, appreciate you having me on, man, and for the opportunity to, to come on and share. It, it was a great day. Um, you know, all the way around, uh, quite honestly, from a, from a, the media piece to, to obviously just being able to get, get the announcement out there and share it publicly. And uh, I kind of just had to bite my tongue for a few days and keep keep to myself. But to be able to share it publicly and, and talk about how excited we were, and, you know, the reasons that we kind of got, you know, got to this point, the reasons we made the decision, uh, that was awesome. And then to have the fan reception and be able to share with them and have folks uh, come up and, and, and congratulate everybody and just kind of just to see the genuine genuine excitement and then to see it also on social media. I mean, our folks have, have really stepped up and, and I think our our, our future conference uh, peers have been really impressed with how our folks have embraced it and, uh, and vice versa. I think our folks have been really excited to see the warm welcome from the Sun Belt. So all in all, it's a great day and just uh, a lot to be excited about. Jeremy, you mentioned it at the front end of that answer, kind of uh, holding a secret, if you will. Can you kind of give our listeners a look inside what that would be for the coaches and, and now, I guess, the student athletes? But do you tip, it, tip your hand at all to the coaches, or do they kind of find out when we do and what has been their reaction? Yeah, so I, I definitely uh, had a you know visited with them before we made a decision. Uh, now, I, 
kind of in these situations, I intentionally don't ask too many questions of them too early because I want to protect them a little bit and I want them to be able to say, Hey, I don't know. <laughs> because sure. I know they're going to get that question from everyone. Hey, what's happening. And so, so we, we waited a little while and, and then brought them all together and talked to them about where we were, uh, talked to them about where we felt like it was headed and it just gave them an opportunity to, you know, Hey, give me some feedback, ask me some questions. If you've got concerns, let's talk about it. And really, there were a few questions, but but really, it was all it was all positive. I think our coaches felt really good about uh, about what that looked like and what the move meant for our program. Uh, and so, so yeah, we got them involved uh, kind of late in the process, but definitely before we made any decisions, and and had them gave them an opportunity to give feedback. And I think they were all very excited about the move. Jeremy, with excitement, sometimes comes a little angst. You're familiar. Uh, with the Sun Belt for your prior stop at Troy, being familiar, and then also, can you kind of tell our listeners how familiar you are with Keith Gill and the the Sun Belt Commissioner, and how that kind of makes your shoulders relax in, in in midst of such a big decision? Yeah, you know, I'll say this, and it was it was kind of interesting. My time at Troy uh, came to a close. The commissioner and I overlapped for just a month or two. Um, and so I got to know him initially there, um, and then, you know, got a lot of friends in the league, kind of kept, kept track of what was happening there and talked to them quite often. So had a sense of how things were progressing. They obviously had, they've had a great couple of years, past couple of years in football. And, uh, so, you know, Keith, uh, Commissioner Gill did a great job throughout the process. He and I had an opportunity to talk and just thought it was handled first class and, uh, treated us uh, with a ton of respect and, 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 and was very open to conversations about questions and about how we need to handle certain things. So just kind of, I just appreciate his leadership and, and what he showed throughout that process. And I feel like, uh, you know, the Sunbelt's in good hands, not only from him, but his staff, who many of them were there when I was in the league and they do a fantastic job uh, of making sure that office runs the right, right way. And so, um, just, just very pleased with uh, the leadership there, and kind of what, look forward to uh, getting to work with a lot of those folks again. Jeremy, what does it say about uh, Dr. Bennett's leadership, your leadership? That you haven't. I mean, there's rumors of others potentially coming that way, but I really looked at Southern Miss as kind of leading out in that the timing, and then um, Dr. Bennett and his agreements to go ahead and yeah. and and to make this announcement. Yeah, you know, I, I said this publicly yesterday. You know, really feel like um, Dr. Bennett did a. He just really appreciate the way he handled the whole process, and um, you know, he was he was willing to listen to what I had to say. He was willing to ask the right questions. He was willing to make the right phone calls. He was he he just he led in a in a, in a way that uh, I just got great admiration for and was very thoughtful throughout the process. And so really commend him. We wouldn't be talking about this today, obviously, if it, if it weren't for him. And so, you know, very, very, very thankful for that. And, you know, and as far as us kind of being the first out of the gate, um, you know, I was, I definitely was open to that. Um, had, had an opportunity, wanted to go ahead and try to get that done uh, and, and kind of uh, lead the way, if you will. I don't, uh, I've never had a problem doing that, and and you know I think sometimes if we are going to be who we want to be, that's what we have to do, 
And um, and so in this situation, I definitely was excited about uh, kind of leading the way and setting the tone for, you know, what's to come for the Sun Belt over the next uh, over the next week or so. Jeremy, in our previous visits on the show, we've kind of talked about uh, budget and money, and you hate that the you really hate to have to discuss that, but that's the reality of it. And certainly, we've already seen some numbers uh, put forth and what it's going to save. But currently, uh, Jeremy, since since you've been there, has that budget situation improved some, or are we kind of um, yeah. staying put? No, man, we've, I'm glad you asked. I don't mind talking about it at all because I think we've got good things to talk about. We've actually, since since I got here, and, and this is a benefit to our staff and to the university, uh, I mean, it's, it's credit goes to them, I should say, um, we've increased our budget uh, almost 20%. We're, we're at about $28 million now, and our objective, obviously, is to get above $30 million and kind of keep, keep pushing that forward and making progress. And so, you know, the last few years have been good for us. Even through COVID and having to fight through that, we found a way to make that work and to come out on kind of on the other side in a really good place. And so, you know, talk about getting to 28, 30 million, saving travel costs and kind of what we're going to do from a, from a Sunbelt standpoint. And all of a sudden you're able to, to have money to invest in certain places that are going to make you better. And I think that's the key is, you know, Spending money on, on jet fuel uh, feels like throwing it down the drain sometimes where I could spend those same dollars on keeping really good staff members, really good coaches, or investing in our student-athletes and making sure they have what they need. Jeremy, we've already talked about leadership a couple times in this interview. The leadership you think that Coach Hall has shown and, and really what I, I think he would say hasn't been the year that he's wanted it to be has had to come uh, – has a, had to overcome so much – how impressed with your, from your perspective, the way he's led in such a positive way through a tough year? Yeah, I've been very, very impressed, very pleased. He and I talk, talk if not daily, you know, several times a week. And, you know, and I kind of get to see it every day, what these guys are doing, how they're approaching it, how they're treating the people around them, what they're doing to continue to get better. And so it has been unfortunate. It's been a, it's been a tough go and uh, not what any of us hoped for from the standpoint of, you know, we, we kind of knew um, we knew that it, from a from a competitiveness standpoint, you know, there's going to be a lot of parity. We were going to be able to compete, but you know, we weren't necessarily going to be able to uh, dictate to people how things were going to go. And so then you have some really key injuries early, and it just kind of changed the outlook on some things. And and so I think it's easy to kind of fold up shop or, or put your head down or or or, or you know kind of be woe is me and, and I think there's a lot of people across the country that would have done that but that's not what Will's done it's not how his staff has responded it's not how our players have responded and, and I think that says a lot about the leadership from Coach Hall and from his staff that our our players our student athletes have really taken on the challenge and tried to kind of you know try to continue to get better and I'm, I'm excited about the last you know five games for us and, and the opportunity in front of us you know and I realize it hasn't uh, we've got some challenges and it hasn't gone the way we want it, but there's still opportunity in front of us. And I think these guys are getting better every day. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited about what's, uh, you know, the opportunity over the next uh, several weeks to, to try to make some progress and gain some momentum. Chairman, when you look at, and you certainly know this, that football gets a lot of the attention, the attention it doesn't get normally baseball or basketball uh, gobbles up. The other sports and how those sports that are really uh, so fun to, to take in and uh, so important to the student athletes there on campus, 
How do you think this move is going to impact uh, those in a positive way? Yeah, and great question. And that's something we really try to dig in on. And, and, and again, I haven't been in the league for four years, had a pretty good feel for, for kind of what sports within the Sun Belt are really strong, which ones need to get better. And, and so, but, but as a whole, you know, really felt like uh, it, it, it could be a positive for several of our sports. And, and I'll, I'll mention the diamond sports specifically, baseball and softball. You know, you got, you got a baseball league that now is starting to take shape. You add us to a league with Louisiana Lafayette and South Alabama and and Troy and and, and Georgia's uh, Southern and some some schools that have been traditionally really strong. Coastal Carolina won the national championship not too long ago, um, and so and, and you know I don't if you saw the announcement today that Old Dominion is is uh, joining the league as well. They made that official today, and so you know they're they're they were a one seed last year in, in the NCAA tournament at the regional. So that baseball league has a chance to consistently be a top five league in the country. And uh, that's I'm really excited about that. And then you talk about a softball league that had four NCAA bids last year. And I think there's only two or three other leagues in the country that had as many or more than they did. And so I think the Diamond Sports have a chance to really, really benefit and, and play in a conference that's going to be one of the tops in the country. And then there are other pockets, I think, within the Sun Belt. And, and I, I said this you know, to the press yesterday. I think the basketball league is underrated. Uh, I think some people kind of look at it and say, well, it's a one-bid league, but, you know, as are most of the leagues in the country. Sure. And, and so, but the parity in that basketball league, you know, it's, it's quite the grind, and it takes, um, it, it takes something special to, to win that league. And so I think that's going to be a great opportunity for our men's and women's programs. Um, you know, and I think there's other opportunities. We talk about soccer and volleyball. Again, really good league. So I think – I think as a whole, when we look at all of our sports, uh, we've got an opportunity for all of them to be in a position uh, to be better, uh, better suited and better and a better fit than the Sun Belt. Jeremy, you know, it's been said, and this will be the final question. I know you're really busy. When you look at it, and it's been said time and time again, uh, how much that Texas-Oklahoma move really made people shake and, and try to get to where they needed to be. But... Since you've been at Southern Miss, the conference question's probably been asked to you long before that. Are you kind of glad to have that question uh, not to be asked for a little while? I am, and, and not that I mind people asking. I'm just, I'm just glad to be in a place, headed to a place that uh, is, is going to be beneficial for us and that you know, our folks can get excited about. You know, and I think the thing that's been difficult playing, you know this, like, in the past, I think we felt like things happened to us. And in this situation, we were prepared. There was a path for us, and, and we took advantage of that. And so that's a much different feeling. Yeah. And I think our, our folks are genuinely excited about that and us kind of charting our own path. And so, yeah, I'm glad to have that question behind us because it means that I get to move on <laughs> to the next thing, which is, you know, there's, there's a lot of things on the list to get done. Uh, but now we can focus on getting better. You know, we've got some facility improvements we're working on. We've got to figure out how to continue to fundraise, at, at a, at a, elevate that, do it at a higher higher level. Uh, there's some programs we've got to continue to get better at. And so, um, so, yeah, I think this is one thing that we can check off that list and say, hey, this is a positive. This is going to be better for us as a whole. Now let's focus on these next things and, and try to get better in that way. 
And you mentioned fundraising, the people that maybe have kind of held that card of when y'all get the conference uh, situation sorted out, they they no longer have that for an excuse, do they? No doubt about it. Time time for those folks. That was the, what they were waiting on. It's time for them to uh, to step up. And and I and I do think there'll be some of that. And, and again, we've we have really gained some momentum in fundraising, even through COVID, even through a difficult football season. People want to help, and and so we've got a really good foundation happening there fundraising. And and I think once we get uh, some things moving in the right direction on the field, that's only going to get better. And so I'm very very excited about that. Jeremy, thank you again for your time and your leadership. You bet, man. Appreciate you. Thank you.